This episode of A Little Juju Podcast is brought to you by The Hood Botanica. The Hood Botanica is a platform where we have products, courses, and hold live stream discussions dedicated to discussing spirituality from an Afrocentric perspective. Follow us on Instagram at The Hood Botanica and join our live stream discussions at 5 p.m. PST, that is Pacific Standard Time, and grab one of our free courses at thehoodbotanica.com. All of this will be in the show notes. Now, enjoy the show. All you need is a little juju. All you need is a little juju. All you need is a little juju. All you need is all you need. All you need is a little juju. All you need is a little juju. All you need is a little juju. A little juju. A little juju. A little juju is the way. It's how I start my day. Can't firm no say. And I'll never keep it I'll take your photo to the grave. But that ain't even my thing. I just stay at the crossroads, pray. I just pour a little honey from my bay to make a stay. Cause I hate when bay leaves, but I manifest a little with my bay leaves. I'm my ancestors, baby. So I give them everything that they gave me. Yeah, so I can't be stopped. Manifested everything. Give me props. I'm spiritually rounded while I'm on the top. A little juju podcast. This is the podcast all about black ass spirituality, honoring the ancestors, honoring ourselves, hoodoo, the medicine, the magic, everything in between. And I am your host, Juju, Juju Bay. And I am a medium, I'm a spiritual practitioner, a spiritual advisor. I practice hoodoo. I'm also an Orisha practitioner, a Reiki practitioner, a medium. Did I say that already? Honestly, right now, what I feel like is somebody who has been talking too damn much. (laughs) And I just want y'all to know, I probably sound very low energy, but inside my heart is beaming. I'm so excited right now and I'm very happy. Um, But energetically, I am exhausted and I'm literally not supposed to be talking. My ancestors told me that I need to have a day of silence. And I said, um... So I have this thing called a podcast, (laughs) so, and I need to record. So today's going to be a little different. Um, If this is your first time tuning in, hey, why it's going to be a little different is that I'm not doing my normal segments. So I normally have a segment called Heal Yourself, where I talk about some juju related tips and tricks to heal. And then I tend to do a segment called uh, Juju for the Culture. And that is where I just talk about pop culture, just things kind of going on. In our surroundings and my kind of juju take or spiritual um, explanation of sort of what is happening. And so the middle point is that I'm not going to have segments, but we do have a wonderful interview episode, which was pre-recorded. So we are going to put the episode out today and we're not going to do our segments. And so that is how we have found a middle ground because I I can't do my day of silence, (laughs) but um, I don't have to talk so much. The reason why my ancestors want me to be quiet is because I did, I had a long weekend. I worked, you know, my normal week, and then I also worked this past weekend. So there was a community party at at Dovecote Cafe in Baltimore, and I did some readings there. And then the next day, uh, this spot, Flourish Baltimore, put on a spiritual expo, and I also did readings at 
the expo and both of the events were amazing they were beautiful but I was very busy especially at the the expo and so I, I talked I read over 30 people this weekend and so I have been doing nothing but talking on top of that it was my mom's birthday weekend <laughs> so we threw her a surprise party after the spiritual expo after I had been working from 11 to 6 and she was actually assisting me she was my assistant this weekend which was great and so we had a surprise party for her that started at 6 and ended late and then she didn't think we were throwing her a party well, she didn't think, you know, there was any kind of celebration of her birthday. So she actually threw a party for herself on t- today, the day I'm recording, which is a Monday. So I, I t- look, I, I don't want to talk. <laughs> I don't want to talk. <laughs> and I love doing the podcast. I love this work. I love putting out episodes for y'all, but I do not feel like talking. My throat is shot. I'm sure you can tell. And I also have some interviews coming up tomorrow that I'm being interviewed on. <laughs> so... I need to just be resting my voice. My throat chakra is done. So that is why we are not doing segments today. I hope you all understand. (laughs) Um, But otherwise, yes, I'm super, super excited. I'm super happy. I'm very grateful for all the wonderful people that I met. And I'm going to try to maybe get together some type of schedule or calendar or something for people in Baltimore to know where I'm going to be at. Well, I'm saying I'm going to try to do that. I might not actually try, but that's a great idea that someone suggested. And some things like that just kind of pop up. If I see something cool and I feel like I want to read at it, I just see if I can read at it. But, you know, we'll see. We'll see. Because I want folks to be able to know, you know, be able to meet some listeners and everything like that. I did meet a few listeners at the at the events this past weekend so that was cool shout out to the folks I met um so let's see any any other thing I want to share (laughs) well I will tell a short story because I think it was great so I've sort of been you know as I keep saying I feel like I'm back in Baltimore I live here now I don't live in Chicago anymore so I am trying to figure out the lay of the land you know, where I want to be, community, all those wonderful things. And also family and reconnecting with family. And after being gone for nine years. Mm. Pardon me, y'all. My throat is really shy. <laughs> it's really shy. Uh, so um, I went out with my aunt this past week. We went to a little, this place called Terra Cafe that does live music. So we went to Terra Cafe. It's a black-owned place. And she was like, so do you have a job? Like, are you applying for a job? And I was like, girl, I work for myself. She was like, oh, you are working. That's wonderful. What are you doing? Like therapy, counseling? And I'm like, kind of. So I told her, I told her what I do. And I didn't hold back. And she's very Christian. She's very Christian. She's very um, conservative in a lot of ways. Um, Like black people conservative, not like conservative conservative, but in the ways of like tradition and religion, very conservative, not like, but not like she don't drink or like turn up and shit, shit but she does, you know, you know, them aunties. So I told her what I did, you know, and, and spirits. And I said all of that. And she was like, wow, that is so amazing. She's like, I feel like I've always had gifts just like that. You know, I, I've always, you know, before things have happened to me, 
especially traumatic things, I've known that they were going to happen. So it's always made it a little bit easier because I was able to prepare for it. Like then she started telling me all these like supernatural experiences that she has had. And she just always thought like she knew it wasn't coincidences, but she didn't really know how to tap into it. So she just let it be like it was just kind of like, yeah, I have this gift. That's just kind of what it is. And I'm like, all these people around me in my family have these gifts. Every time I tell somebody new in my family about what I do or get um, like go into detail about it, they're all like, oh, yeah, uh huh, me too. I have that. Oh, I experienced that. Oh, yeah. I thought that was just something that just everybody did. I'm just like, wow. So I know a lot of people have reached out to me and, and wondering how to quote unquote come out to their family. And, and honestly, I don't have any tips. I mean, maybe I can think about it in a more thoughtful way at some point about how to do it. But really, I'm just, I'm just saying what it is. Like, this is what I'm doing. This is my life. And I'm not interested in being ashamed about it. So unless you want me to stop doing this and you are going to pay all of my bills, then that is that on that. (laughs) That is my advice until I come out with how to come out the closet episode. But until then, I don't have no advice, but I just say what it is and either like it or you don't. So my aunt loved it and she supports me and my family so far is supportive and they understand but also they have the gift so it's kind of like I wish I knew this when I was younger I wish I knew this before I wish we talked about this so it was would be less spooky and weird and you know so anyway that happened as well so I did want to share that and yeah everything has been really good like y'all, I'm very happy and I feel very settled in my new home I just I'm good like I I feel so good and it feels good to say I'm good (laughs) because I was not good for so long and sometimes I can't even believe I'm good you know but okay let me stop running my mouth because then I'll start telling a whole bunch of stories so let us get into the only thing that we're going to do is going to shout out our new patrons and the folks who donate donated this past week and talk about how you can donate to the show and then we're going to get right into our interview with Nagara to talk a little bit about the tradition of Palo. All you need is a little juju. So as I say every week this podcast is hosted, written, produced, edited, all of that by me. <laughs> little old me. A black woman and so there are ways that I like to ask for support from people who enjoy the podcast feel healed in some way by the podcast get fed by the podcast and so that there's always like equal exchange and um, I put this podcast out with love but podcasting is not free it takes a lot of labor financial labor emotional labor spiritual labor it's all of that and so if you would like to continue to see this podcast grow flourish change get better better sounding better working uh, better looking all of that then that is how you you can help do that by by donating and there's a couple different ways that I like to talk about donation the first way that I'll talk about is through financially through monetary donations and then next I'll talk about non-monetary ways to help support the show so the monetary ways first there is a way called um through patreon that's patreon.com slash jujubay, which will be in the show notes. But Patreon is a way to commit to uh, 
giving money to the show monthly so I ask for three dollars a month that that's thirty six dollars a year you can pledge more than three dollars a month you can pledge less than three dollars a month it is up to you but it's a committal way to kind of help with the show with the costs with the labor that comes along with the show and another way to donate oh actually well before I get into the other way let me shout out my patrons because I did have some patrons um, pop up that I always want to shout out and give my love to Okay, so big, big shout out and big love to my patrons. Uh, shout out to Aiden Flowers. Aiden was already a patron, but changed their pledge. So thank you, Aiden, for changing your pledge. Um, Mawaya Patton, I hope I said that name. Thank you so much for becoming a patron. Tracy Agemang, I hope I said that okay, Tracy. Thank you for becoming a patron. I appreciate you. Big shout out to Demonisha R for becoming a patron. Ronetta James, thank you. Uh, Javion Lewis, thank you for becoming a patron. Lessa Lee, thank you. Darren Winters, uh, Tony M, Jasmine J, and I think I got everyone. Thank you so much for becoming a patron. Thank you for, so much for sharing the energy of money with me. And I pray that the energy of money that you share with me that you get it increased tenfold and sending you my love um, that all the things that you want to do that you need money for that you get it and that you get it quickly and in the time in the time that you need so thank you thank you and I appreciate you um, I also want to shout out folks who have donated via cash app and just say thank you so so much y'all be coming through on the cash app just with a little coin here a little coin there it is very much appreciated and I send the same love to you people who hit me up on the PayPal to donate Thank you, thank you, thank you. I appreciate y'all so much. Um, so those are the ways to donate financially. Cash app, dollar sign, it's Juju Bay, and through PayPal, the Jujubay at gmail.com. Now, if you would like to donate and you just don't have the coin right now, or you don't want to share the coin right now, or that's you know not on your radar at this second, that's fine. There are so many other ways to help support the show and elevate the show. One of those ways is through posting about it through telling people what the show is about, sharing the link, telling people what a podcast is, and once you tell them, telling them about this one. Um, you can also subscribe to whatever platform you're listening. I always love to read reviews. I was reading reviews um, this past week, and I was just crying. <laughs> and I was so overwhelmed, I couldn't read anymore. Like, I stopped myself from reading. Like, I was like, I can't, I can't actually look at this. It was so weird. Like, I could only read 10, and I... I don't know. I'll try to get through them, but it was like my cancer. It was too much. So everyone who has written a review for me, thank you. That helps spread the word that helps spread the good juju gospel. And so that other people can learn how this show has helped you and maybe it can help others. So that is, that is one of the main ways that you can help support this show. When you post about it, when you tell people about it, when you subscribe, when you five stars, when you like it on SoundCloud comments, all of that so thank you so much for everyone who consistently consistently is talking about the show and sending love i'm sending it right back to you i have like the best y'all are the best uh, honestly like i i'm very blessed like i just feel very blessed to be in community with y'all y'all feel like my family and my friends and i don't know y'all <laughs> i don't know a lot of you but the ways that y'all have have poured into me I thank you and I hope that I can continue to pour into you all 
It takes a it takes a village, so thanks. All you need is a little juju. So I am very excited about uh, the interview today because I'm going to be interviewing Nagara, who is a priest of the tradition of Palo. And Palo is not a tradition that you will easily be able to find a lot of information about. Um, she did provide some resources towards the end, which I will put in the show notes around learning more about uh, Bantu culture, Bantu cosmology, which will help explain a little bit about Palo. But generally, Palo is pretty secretive. Um, uh, Palo practitioners have done well <laughs> with keeping things under wraps, and which is why I think it is a tradition where because people don't understand it, it gets explained a lot by people who don't understand it and who make assumptions and who project and so I'm really excited to have someone who is a practitioner in this tradition to be able to come and speak to what it is how it works you know in the ways that she's able to and um, yeah so sit back and relax enjoy this is an interview where you will need to get a piece of paper <laughs> and take some notes and do some research and be thoughtful and probably listen to a few times because Nagara is brilliant and you just gonna have to run some things back to fully grasp and understand and feel like okay yeah I think I get I think I get get this I think I get a little bit more of what this tradition is about and how it works and how it was created and who it's for so that's all I'm gonna say I hope you all enjoy this interview, and let's just get right into it. Hello, Nagara. How are you? I'm so excited for this interview today. Hello. How are you? I'm fine. I, too, am excited. I'm glad we got this technology working. I can be a let you know, sometimes, but I'm glad we got it working. I'm super excited. I've been looking forward to this since we first spoke several weeks ago, so this is great. Yes, me too. I'm so excited that you are actually going to be the one to talk about Palo uh, with us today and as a yaya and a paleta, and we'll be able to break down what all those things even mean uh, to our listeners. So let's just get right into it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like to start off when I interview and just ask, who are you? You know, how do you identify? What is your work? Like, how do you, who, who are you? What space do you take up? Okay, um, right on. So my name is Negara Akili Kadumu. I am living and have been living for the past almost six years in Seattle, Washington. I'm originally from Chicago. Um, I maintain a practice for the past two years called Nagara Ekadumu Art and Healing. Um, My practice, as the name suggests, sits at the intersection of art and healing. For me, those two seemingly disparate areas come together around this notion of making. So artists make artwork, curators make exhibitions, art dealers and art advisors make value in the market so that artists can get paid for their work so that the world can be um, more exposed, hopefully to a a diversity of artworks and artists. And on the healing side, healers, co-create with their clients, with their patients, if you will, long-term solutions for an array of different kinds of issues. And so for me, I think about what I do 
and this practice as a maker. Um, so what makes me different than someone who's just, and well, I, I don't want to say just, cause I don't want to diminish it, but what makes me different than, um, an artist, so to speak, is that a lot of what I do both process wise and result wise is not a external visible output. You know, artists make a thing and it goes out into the world. Granted, when I am working on the art side and I'm producing writing, that does go out into the world in a certain way. But on the healing side, the results are not always as visible. Um, and that's interesting. And I'll get into that a little bit, you know, a, a, a little bit later because um my healing practice is private and generally most priests that I know, my elders, they work in work in one-on-one, very intimate, very confidential scenarios with their clients. And so the people who see the change are, you know, the priest and the client. Um, but there is a certain point where if the work is taking root and moving and walking and all of that, um, that the outside world would be able to see certain changes as well. So it's, it's, it's a, it's a private process and result that starts off as private, but once it really takes root and the healing is really moving and, and, and pushing people to, to, to do and be better, it is perceivable. You can see it perceptible. I should say. Um, I'm interested actually in, like sort of the intersection of the healing and the art. And I mean, mm-hmm. myself personally, I don't think that it is different, but I do mm-hmm. kind of want you to speak to that. How did you come to the place of like, I can do these things together and actually start my work and center center like my work around it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, th- that's a good question. because I don't, people don't ask me that so much anymore. So it's, it's helpful for me to like, remember it, articulate that. And so, you know, before 2017, I had sort of everything in its neat little box, right? I'm a Capricorn, so I like organized things. I'm just like, no, you over here, you over there, you over there. You saying? Um, but, you know, that's like hell exhausting. Um, it's a lot of work. And it's also just not who I am. You know, two years ago at 37, I was just like, okay, Nagara, you have up till now been, you know, very neat and very clean and very, this is who I am over here. This is who I am over there. Okay. Now perhaps you really need to step out there and be like, I'm all these things and you're going to get a little bit of everything. You're going to get, you're, you're going to get a little Paulo when you see me, you're going to get a little speedy these small when you see me, you're going to get a little critical theory. When you see me, you're going to get a little, Oh, well, you know, I'm really into this painter because of X, Y, and Z. You're going to get all of those things. And so rather than have this disjointed thing, because that's not how it happened in real life, you know, not that's, we, we like to, humans like to organize things until they can't be organized anymore, but that's not how real life happens. Real life is generally way more messy and there's a lot of overlap. And so I just said, you know, enough, halas. I'm like, this is who I am. I do all of these things. I am a whole person. I need to put out a whole practice that is reflective of who and what it is that I do. So at that point in 2017, we're talking about four years that I have been working. Is that four years? Yeah. Four years that I've been working in the art world. 
Um, and I already had two art world practices, one as manager of public programs at the Fry Art Museum where I still work, and then the other as an independent writer and curator and scholar. And then I had my own personal healing practice, which was fine. But, you know, as you know, at a certain point, once your healing gets to a certain point, um, you start to feel this call to serve others, but not serve others from an egotistical place because you want to be like the biggest, baddest healer, right. but really to see if any of the things that you have learned and that you have done on yourself can be more broadly applicable. Because as we know, these are community, communal traditions. Right. You know, people don't live in a vacuum. People do not and should not live isolated. Um, and so it became this kind of thing of, okay, so I've done sort of all of this individual research on my, on my own, on myself, doing these things for myself. What, what potentially would this look like to offer it to the community? And so, you know, I spoke to my godmother, I spoke to both my godmothers, I spoke to my mother, and I was just like, you know what, this is what I want to do. Um, and I'm a, I think I'm going to move forward with it. And people were super supportive. And my community here in Seattle, most importantly, was super supportive because, you know, I don't care how many clients you have. And if you're fortunate enough to have clients elsewhere, where you are, where you live, is where you need to have a base. And so I've been very fortunate to develop a community here in Seattle that respects and desires what it is that I do. And for those people who have um, engaged with me on a client basis, have seen the results that they came to me seeking, even if they didn't know it was going to look like that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So really this you know, it was really me like stopping all the siloing, like being trying to be less of a Capricorn and just be like, listen, this is, this is who y'all get when I show up to the place, mm -hmm. you know, this is who you, this is who y'all get, you know, um, and this is what you all are going to get. <laughs> you know, I love this. I love that. Love you said that you said and listen to this call of like, you know what? You're just going to get all the things like you're going to yeah, get the art. You're going to get the Palo. You're going to get the Espiritismo. Like you're just going to get it all because that's who I am. And right, I think that right. also just speaks to like, it's so black, like, especially in these traditions, like we are actually all these things, nothing that we do is separate. And I say that mm -hmm. all the time, it's all connected. Mm -hmm. So that is a living way to walk in that. Like, nope, mm -hmm. um, we just going to do this all to together at one time. And it's going to work. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and when you say, you know, you're going to get a little palo, a little espiritismo, can you talk about what that is? And then also like your title in, in palo. Right. So um, I'll start this way. So in my spiritual life, um, I am a practitioner of three African rooted, specifically Afro-Cuban uh, traditions. Um, the first is Lukumi. I've been a practitioner of Lukumi since 2005, so coming up on 15 years. I'm a lay practitioner. I am not initiated. Um, I am a part of a community that's based between Florida, New York, and Chicago, led by um, an Oshun priestess by the name of Sabrina Parham, who's absolutely amazing, um, and a really an OG in this Lukumi Ocha game. And so I'm very fortunate to have her as my godmother. I've been practicing that 
um, for the past 15 years, Lukumi, as some may know, is a spiritual tradition that was developed, that was birthed in Cuba as a result of Africans of Yoruba descent. So we're talking about Black people. I need to get everybody clear that we're talking about Black people. But somehow, even though when you start talking about Yoruba and you start and you say Afro-Cuban, when you say Africa, some people don't get it. So I'm going to be real explicit. We're talking about black, 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 black. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's what we're talking about here. So this is a tradition that was uh, birthed on Cuban soil by black women of varying Yoruba ethnic groups. I'm going to say that again. Black women birthed this tradition on Cuban soil. Mm. These are Black women who were enslaved by Europeans, brought to Cuba, and they reestablished their traditions on Cuban soil um, and have been responsible for the sustenance and the maintenance of these traditions since that moment. My particular Lukumi lineage is what is called Pimienta and um, has roots in Havana. Um, And I've been a practitioner of that for 15 years. Um, I also practice uh, Espiritismo Cruzado, which translates as crossed spiritism. Espiritismo There are various kinds of espiritismo that are practiced throughout the Caribbean, particularly the Spanish-speaking Caribbean. The variant that I practice comes from Cuba, obviously, specifically Eastern Cuba. So we're talking about what comprised Oriente province. And it is crossed. It is called crossed because of the... I I guess it's fair to use the word hybrid, hybridization between um, spiritism, which has a Christian Catholic foundation, but also the spiritualist practice of Bantu people, um, specifically Bantu people in Eastern Cuba and the intersections of that. And so, yes, there are aspects of that where we are calling, we are using Christian prayers, not just Catholic, in some cases Catholic, yes, but in other cases Christian prayers to call down the spirits, but they're the majority of that really when you're in the thick of it, when you're in the practice of it, is dealing with one's spiritual frame, which in the case of people of African descent is a mostly African rooted spiritual frame. People get all up in their feelings and all, you know, like, oh, Christianity, X, Y, and Z. I'm just like, okay, but you know what? Those black aunties in your family were church people. Look. Look. You know? And even if they did other things at home in their private room that we only found out about 300 years ago, you know? Like, right. Whatever. Even if they had that private room where they did other things and those other things were the majority of what it is they did, they went to church at a certain point. They sure did. You know, and arguably, and this is another topic, but arguably 
the Black church as we know it, particularly the Southern Black church as an institution, um, mm, I mean, from an anthropological standpoint, there are strong arguments to be made that that's not necessarily Christianity in a certain way. But I'm going to leave that right there because I'm not going (laughs) to... You know I'm, not, I'm not gonna go, you know, go get weird and go deep on that. No, but I look. I've that's a real conversation, before. though. I've said that before, and people sort of. Some people looked at me like I had five heads. Other people mm-hmm. were just like, "Okay, mm-hmm. y'all heard them." Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? But arguably, the black church is not Christianity. But anyway, we'll save that for another, for another conversation. <laughs> so we need a part two. Listen. Um, so yeah, Cruzado, this hybridization between um spiritism, which originally started out as a Francophone Christian practice brought mm-hmm. um developed by um Kardec, Alain Kardec, a French um a French philosopher, but also a hardcore practitioner of that tradition. Um but in the Cuban reality that included Black people from many places on the African continent that inevitably became a practice that was used to call on one's spiritual spirit guides and depending on one's particular strain of the practice, potentially even their uh, certain of their ancestors that would respond in that way. Um, that Espiritismo is not a initiatory rite Anyone can become an espiritista, but it does require training. And we'll, I'm sure we'll get to that topic in a little bit. Um, so I have a mentor um, who has been my mentor in espiritismo going on eight years. And that's a good segue because this woman who's my mentor in espiritismo is also my godmother in Paula. And so I am coming up on eight years of initiation in Palo Mayombe. Um, Palo Mayombe is one of three main, um, well, depending on how you count, four main branches of what is called in Spanish Las Reglas Bantu. Um, Las Reglas Bantu refers to the multiple spiritual beliefs of multiple Bantu people that came to Cuba enslaved. Um, as early as the late 17th, early 18th century. Um, And so what's important, I think, from the outset to understand about Palo and its, you know, three or four main branches is that it's not just one Bantu tradition. What is also important to know is that of the Bantu traditions that comprise Palo, Congo is definitely the most predominant. But if you do the research and you start to dig, you find other things that are prominent in certain ways and certain aspects of Palo. So, again, Palo Mayombe is what I practice. There are three, maybe four branches of um, what is known as Las Reglas Bantu, Palo Mayombe, Palo Griumba, Palo Quimbisa. There's another branch that's called Santo Cristo Buen Viaje. Um, And then there have been a few other branches, depending again on how you count and the history 
one called Palo Monte, one called Palo Chiamalongo. There's a there's a, a number of different things, and I'm I'm nerding out a bit here, but just I, I <laughs> want to I do want to um, stress the multiplicity because right. people have this tendency to say, oh well, Palo is one thing, Palo is that. Certainly, Palo is something that is distinct from other African rooted spiritual traditions. But it Palo as we know it today is a is an amalgam of various Bantu um, spiritual beliefs and practices. Okay, with the um, emphasis on Congo, with Congo being among the most prominent. Yes, who are the most? Okay, okay, got it. Yeah, but not the only, but among the most prominent. And so the lineage that I come from in Palo Mayombe is Brahma con Brahma. That lineage was established late 19th, early 20th century um, by, in, in the way that we know it now, by a, a, a Tata, an initiated priest by the name of Renerio Perez El Congo. Um, our lineage comes out of Eastern Cuba in the province formerly known as Oriente, still referred to as Oriente. Oriente is an interesting place because mm-hmm. within, the, within the Cuban reality, um, Oriente has a very um, singular way of practicing sort of all of these spiritual traditions. Mm-hmm. And for a very long time, Oriente was the main port of call, if not the capital, I have to go back and check that, um, of colonial Cuba. And so everybody who was coming to Cuba, uh, regardless of the circumstances under which they were coming, came through Oriente, came through Santiago, which is the capital of that area. And so in our lineage, particularly because of that just uh, international um, cosmopolitan for its time, reality of Oriente province and Santiago, our lineage has uh, packs with other African rooted spiritual traditions, namely uh, Haitian voodoo and Abaqua. Um, Abaqua um, is a male only society uh... derivative of the um, people, various people of the Calabari region so Eastern Nigeria and Western Cameroon uh, in uh, we're talking about like, is that the Benin? That's the Gulf. Yes. Like sort of over in that Gulf area around the Niger river, but we're talking about East in Nigeria, East of that river and in Cameroon West, sort of Western Cameroon. Haitian voodoo and its presence in Cuba is very interesting because you had Haitians in Cuba as early as the 18th century who came um, in various migrations, some related to the Haitian Revolution, um, and came, set up shop in Eastern Cuba um, and brought their traditions with them. So there is a Cuban voodoo that is derivative of the Haitian voodoo that came in that period. And um, my lineage has packs and agreements with that. Okay, and... Um, Yes. So when you say has sort of packs with that, does that mean that it's sort of infused into the ways that you all practice Palo specifically? Um, yes. Packs and agreements mean a very specific thing. It, uh, packs and agreements refer to specific ways in which we work. 
And so whenever you hear that term, that literally, it, it in many ways, it's literal because it's referring to you, the priest, having made an agreement with a thing. But yes, it also very generally is um, reference, a reference to how one works because of the influence of these other traditions. Got it, got it, got it. Um, so can you talk a little bit about so now that we sort of have the understanding of where Paulo kind of how it migrated over into Cuba, how, what is it? Right. So an, a, another thing that's very, very important to understand um, that makes Paulo um, stand out from a lot of the spiritual traditions that people are, particularly that people are engaging in today, is that Paulo is very specifically among all the other things that it is, it's very specifically a liberation cult. And I don't like the word cult, but when I say the word cult, people know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. It is very specifically a liberation cult. What does that mean? People of Bantu descent, people of African descent generally, but people of Bantu descent specifically arrived to Cuba in a state of enslavement. They were enslaved people. And so they essentially got there, um, surveyed their surroundings, and began to understand that something was going to be needed to free themselves from this scenario. They came with belief systems that were already um, focused on the alleviation of suffering what we call impasse in um, old Kikongo. And so that understanding was applied to slavery because what bigger suffering is there other than being enslaved? And so as Paulo became formalized, it became this thing that we now know as Paulo Mayombe and it has its different lineages and this, that, and the third. But you do, it's important to understand that these Africans came to Cuba and while they didn't necessarily, they didn't have vessels, they didn't necessarily have things, they had the ideas and they had the knowledge. And more importantly, for those of them who were priests, who were in Ganga or various kinds of priests, they had the medicine inside them in their actual body because Paulo is a practice where medicine gets put in you. Um, and so they did what other, most other people do when they get to a new place, they start, they, 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 they start to call up and call on the things that are familiar to them to use those things for their survival in the new place. Um, and that's what these Africans did. Um, this does not at all mean to say that, you know, the Apollo that we have now was immediately set up back in the late 16th and early 17th, I'm sorry, the late 17th and early 18th centuries. No, but that knowledge and the application of it was something that they possessed and was something that they began to use, um, not just for their survival, but so they could become unenslaved 
Mm. So really what Paulo is, is a, it is a focus on becoming unenslaved. Mm. Now, in a post-slavery society, um, what does becoming unenslaved mean? In a post-slavery society, becoming unenslaved means liberation writ large. So your body is no longer shackled, but what is, what's happening with your mind? What's happening with your spirit? Um, what are the ways in which this disastrous, monstrous um, thing that has happened to generations of your people, how has it manifested as physical illness? Um, and Paulo is expert at that too. So whereas it started off as a liberation from slavery, as a, a, as a technology for which black people could use to liberate themselves from slavery in the post-slavery environment, it became about, um, you know, liberating oneself from you know, suffering and suffering, um, not just among Bantu people, but among African people generally is anything that does not allow you to live the life, live life in a dignified, you know, more or less comfortable way, right. you know, not being able to find work so you can take care of yourself and your family is mm-hmm. suffering. Yeah. That's not, <laughs> that's not, that's not normal. That's aberrant. So Apollo in in that way can be understood as a technology that supports people in alleviating different kinds of suffering. And there's so many different kinds of suffering. Um, It is expert at identifying the kind of suffering, where it's coming from, what is who or what is causing it. Because those are all the things that you need to know when you're trying to get free. But to sum it up very briefly, if, if, if I was to say anything very simply about what Paulo is, it is a intricate um, system of healing designed, if you take it to its logical conclusion or beyond, to get you completely and totally liberated in a writ large sense. Ooh. That was a breakdown. (laughs) Thank you. Wow. I'm just like, my brain is like, so, um, I know people are probably thinking, so are you praying to deities? Who are, what, how do you interact? And so I'm just wondering what your response Mm -hmm. to that is. Cause I know people are thinking like, so how do you do it? (laughs) So, um, that's actually a really good question. Um, a lot of people think that Paulo is a, is where you go to handle your dead people. Mm. That is the insufficient answer. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, and my lineage elder uh, says this often, if you do, if you are practicing Paolo, right, certainly your ancestors will show up because it's an ancestral tradition. And when you are doing things the way your ancestors did them, they're going to show up to say, yes, finally, right on do this now, see how this works out, you know, but it is not, it is not in it inherently solely a, uh, a, a dead, uh, a, a ancestor cult or dead or a, a dead per a way to deal with dead people. 
it is a com uh, you know in addition to what it is that I already said it is a complex healing system again I, I mentioned impossi which is suffering right it takes suffering as a as the norm you know life within Bantu thinking and of course and again I'm I'm almost directly quoting a lineage elder of mine Tata Ernesto Mercer is being bound up with other people and when you're dealing with other people there will be amazing things that happen but there will also be extremely disappointing if not just downright terrible things that happen and it we don't need to look any further than the news to to really get a sense of how humans are out here treating each other so that being the case how I understand it and how I practice is from the point of view of what do I need to get out of my life? What do I need to unroot from my life so I can move forward? You know, beyond just doing something so that I can get a job or so I can get more money. How am I healing voids in my life, disconnects in my life? Um, a lot of people don't think of African traditions as shamanistic. I would argue that particularly of the, the, the diaspora traditions, Palo is one of the most shamanistic because it, we have technologies for, for performing or for, for, re, for healing what uh, many Native American traditions call soul loss. We have a technology for it. In Palo? Yes. You know? Um, and so it's, it's really, it, it is really a, a mechanism, a technology, a belief system that allows you to do some very profound, extremely profound healing that has reverberation, um, past, present, and future. Because when you do these things, you heal your lineage in both directions. Um, and so in terms of how do you do it? Okay. So yes, there's an aspect of Palo where we are working with a specific subset of ancestors. Okay. Definitely. Okay. Um, and that interaction is through divination. Um, but that interaction may also be through, uh, mediumship. Okay. Um, the entities that we deal with, and I'm saying entities on purpose because they are not deities. These 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 forces were never human ever. Are what is called impungo, and impungo are you interact with impungo in many different ways. If you are a priest that has inganga, so an actual physical vessel, something built for a specific impungo, you can deal with them in that way. You can interact with them through the medium of the inganga, through divination. Okay. But also impungo are in the world. They are in the world. They are brute forces of nature. It is not a spirit of the river. It is, in many ways, the river. Oh, can um, you say that again? So it's not a... Okay, so we have the river. It is not a spirit of the river, but the river itself is actually... The, and that's one way that's one way of understanding it look okay. out getting too deep into stuff that i can't really talk about that's one way of understanding it sure but I also at the, at the same time you know we do deal with river spirits right, you know? right. So it's it's this duality it, but right. 
Apollo functions, and this is one of the reasons that I like it, particularly as a Capricorn, super, what is that, right brain, when you're like very technical and specific yes. and all those things, um, is because there's a level of precision, there's a level of specificity that you can achieve in, um, that you can begin to achieve in Apollo once you have uh, mastered certain basics. And so, yes, there is the energy of the river, the energy of the forest, the energy of the mountain. Um, but then there are also all the sundry spirits that live in those places too. I see. Yep. You know, um, and those are spirits also that are not necessarily human. Um, some of them might be, but they're not all necessarily. Um, and I make that point because I really do want to open up the possibility and this is sort of where I am in my practice, open up the possibility of thinking beyond just what we can understand with our human minds. Yes. Because there's all of this stuff in the universe that exists and has potential and acts and does what it does. And humans often, because this is just a function of being human, only understand it within the limited scope of our understanding at a given time. I would say what Paulo has helped me do in addition to the in addition to the healing piece is to push push open the boundaries of my my mind and to uh to to not rely so heavily upon logic because really and truly at a certain point none of this shit makes sense. <laughs> but to to really, you know, to really like feel my way through it, which is very different than thinking my way through it. There's something to be said for thinking yes. with, you know, thinking through these things and thinking with your, your, your vessels and the entities and the spirits you're working with. There's a, that there's a lot of room for that. And I think that's something that should be happening on, on, on an ongoing basis, but there's also a lot of room where someone needs to just sit and feel and be in the thing and see how different parts of your bodies feel when you're in these spaces with different kinds of spirits. Your brain is one thing and it's always on, it's always working, but how these things feel in your body is another thing. This is an embodied practice, you know? Um, it, I, I would venture to say, and again, this is my opinion, this is not some kind of, you know, across the board Apollo statement, but I would venture to say that it's hard to to achieve the level of healing that one deserves to have or wants to have if you are not able to really sit firmly in your body and, and feel and experience through that way mm. versus just the brain. Right, right. And so that is a big part of one's healing work is to become recentered in, in the body. And Paulo can inform that practice as well. I love that you're talking about Paulo and consistently saying the words healing, because mm. I think in a lot of spaces that I've been in or just my own research, that is not a word often associated with Paulo. Like, no, I don't hear how yeah. healing. No, I think it's on something that is like such a touch point for me. You know, people think of Paulo in a number of ways. Mm -hmm. There are people who see Paulo as, you know, when all else fails, you take it to Paulo and then they'll kill your enemy. Yep. That's how I've come to understand it. (laughs) Um, People also see it as the, 
the on the 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 angry unwanted you know dark side of lukumi which is yes. bullshit mm-hmm. and i'm just like i don't even have time for that you know um and thus you there is still a space unfortunately where there are people who are lukumi practitioners who decide that Oh well, I'm not gonna use my ocha for this, but I'll go to a paleto. And I'm just like, don't, don't do, don't bring that stuff to me. Right. <laughs> so we can, we can find a paleto who will be willing to do it, but I'm not gonna be your little, your little back shed where you do all your dirty business. No. Right. The attack. Mm-hmm. No. Uh. Uh-uh. But then there's just also, and then on top of that, there's also just the the various misnomers, and you know applied to Palo outside of any connection with, you know, with, with any other tradition, but Palo more than anything is about healing. It is straight up about healing, you know, and I I think because of its history as a, as a society, as a spiritual tradition that has no qualms about going to war. Mm. um, And that was used to fight some of the dirtiest battles on sort of a large scale, but also on a small scale, individual scale that have existed, that people see it as like warfare or, you know, or, or black magic, so to right. speak. Right. Um, right. And it's, it, it, it has experienced some of the same malignancy that has been applied to Haitian voodoo yes. as well. Right. Um, but I think that's because Palo, and I imagine Haitian voodoo may be similar, we accept certain basic things about humans in the world. Mm. You know, the world is a difficult place. You know, suffering is a constant. Oftentimes, the people who cause you the most suffering are the people who you think are supposed to love you and care for you. You know? the way in which the world is constantly changing. The other thing that a, a lot of people don't often talk about, but it's something that I talk about with my godmother, with my god siblings, is, you know, thinking about Papa within the context of what has happened to people of African descent all over the world. You know, we were taken from our homeland and in many cases, the ways in which we were taken happened as much because of European thirst for uh, free labor as it did as a result of African elites' desire for money. Because we have to, we have to admit that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, okay. Europeans had help with slavery, honey. They had yeah. help. Um, but we were taken from our homeland. I think I think people don't understand still to this day the enormity of that. That's like being taken from your mama. Kidnapped. You know? we, we were taken from our homeland, separated from our families, and taken to this whole new place and just dumped there and been like, okay, yeah, y'all about to work. Under, in many cases terrible, not many cases, most cases, heinous conditions. Conditions where nobody could potentially be expected to survive. You know? And that was the case until 1888 
and that was that was the that was when Brazil uh abolished slavery. 1886 Cuba abolished it and Brazil abolished it 1888. So we're talking about from you know the late 16th century to the late 19th century. People of African descent were being taken from their homelands and enslaved. And these are the people that we know who survived under those conditions and continue to have family and all of that. Let's not even get to all the people who died, right. who either were killed, who committed suicide on the, on the way over, you know, who just simply decided, no, I'm not doing this. You know, and so when I think about that and I apply that thinking to Paulo, for me, again, and this is not necessarily, I'm not speaking for anybody else, but for me, I see Paulo as a way of not necessarily fixing it, but making it whole. So bringing those pieces back together. A way for us to understand what happened to our particular lineages within this, this, this chunk of history. And how can I, as the person who's obviously been selected, (laughs) you know, how can I bring all of that back to as close a, a whole picture as possible? And Paulo has shown itself to me personally, has shown and proved and continues to prove that it has a technology, an adaptable technology that survives time and space that is can address those things and can address so much more, but specifically can address this, this, um, this idea of, you know, for lack of a better term, putting black lives back together. Right. 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 And it does that, at least from my understanding, with a particular code of, okay. So I'm actually going to refer to something that I saw you say on your blog post Mm -hmm. and kind of tie this in, but I'm just going to quote you. And it says, I don't deal in value judgments of whether a thing or person is good and evil. I'm more interested if the act or person is additive and generative or subtractive and extractive. No, I'm glad you reminded me of that. Mm-hmm. Good and evil at a certain point become useless it's 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 not a it's not a measurement that matters at a certain point the measurement is for where i am right now today so today is september 24 2019 and for what it is that i'm trying to do are the things entities energies that i'm going up against are they with me or are they against me if they're with me how can i use them if they're against me how can i remove them Mm. It's, I don't have no feeling about it because right. here's the thing. Those entities exist just like Nagara is an entity that exists. Right. right. You know, they are doing what it is that they do and they totally have a right to do that. However, if I'm in a place where I'm trying to, I Nagara as an entity, as an energy, as a force in the world is trying to, let's say, you know, I'm trying to, 
Okay, here, here's a pared-down example, but a useful one. Nagara, as an energy in the world, is trying to get an essay done, because I actually have essays that need to get done. <laughs> and then we've got the spirit of procrastination that's infiltrating. Yes. Like, girl, go, have the, go have you a glass of wine. Mm. Go have a happy hour. Procrastination is doing what procrastination does, because that's what who procrastination is. Right. Nagara, as an energy who needs to get some writing done, needs to say, okay, procrastination, it's not what it's not about whether I like you or not. That doesn't matter. I need you to get out of my way. And so what do I do to get procrastination out of my way? Again, a very simplified and a very simplified example, but even if we take that to a, a larger scale, my point is the way in which we get things out of our way that are not useful to what it is that we're trying to do and where it is that we're trying to go is power. Mm-hmm. And so when you apply that to these, you know, to sort of energetic curses or generational hexes, for example, that have caused whole families to have no, no husbands or no male partners in them that have caused six, seven generations of women to be barren. Mm. And we're trying to reestablish a spirit of fecundity in that lineage. Paulo has the technology to do that. So no, I don't have no feelings about it. I mean, does it suck? Yes. Is it unfortunate? It certainly is. But by the time I'm getting ready to sit in front of my Nganga or go into nature and work with a specific Mpungo to get out of that, I'm simply saying, I acknowledge you as a, as a, as a thing that exists in the world or that was created to do a certain thing. But right today, you about to go elsewhere. Right. Right. And so this absence of, Sure. Of, of the good and evil is that a concept of Paolo or is that just your framework so it's interesting because in the language you do uh, particularly because the liturgical language of Paolo is uh is a, a is a creole it is part old Kikongo and part spanish right. so you do in the language you do see good and evil me personally I struggle with that because that is a direct reference to Judeo-Christianity and I ha- that's not where I'm at sure. with anything. I'm, I, I try not to talk about Paulo in any other terms other than Paulo. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I personally shy away from that. Um, when I look, when I listen to my elders and when I look in the history and when I, uh, you know, read the scholarship. I understand why they're using good and bad or good and evil. And it it seems to me that the use of those terms are to explain, you know, works that are done with beneficial uh, impacts versus works that are done with um, impacts that are adverse. Right. because again, you have to look at it, it's all relative. You know, if you and I are going for the same job and I get the job, that's not beneficial for you. Right. So in your in, in your estimation, that might be bad. That might be evil. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's all relative. Sure. It's all relative. Personally, I do put a great stress 
on not using those two words because <clears throat> again, Capricorn is super literal. I don't want I don't want there to be any confusion about the point of view from which I'm from which I'm uh, departing. But yes, you do see that in the liturgical language. Um, and but that is how I have come to understand it. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, and so, who can practice? <laughs> follow i mean there's a lot of i mean we're talking about the latino influence or well, the cuban influence and then uh african ancestral influence mm -hmm. um and so how does one get called to palo i mean what is african americans which is primarily people who listen to the show like what is their place a potential role in engaging in this tradition kind of what does mm -hmm. that look like and what is the ancestral connection well, it's interesting. I mean, I'm like, I'm hella black. Right. I'm not like, you know, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I am African-American through and through. My mother's people are from Georgia and Virginia. Um, there's a bit of Alabama in there. And on my father's side, we're straight up Mississippi folk. So like, it's hella black up in here, you know? Um, I came to Palo because, you know, of having been introduced to my godmother, she and I became friends. I learned more about the tradition and what really appealed to me was this language around liberation. It gave me a language for feelings that I had that I was not able until that moment to really, um, to really discuss properly or efficiently. Um, most of my god siblings right now are African-American. Mm -hmm. most of the people I know in Palo are not Cuban they are Puerto Rican and other Latinos right. Panamanian, Dominican um, what again and I'll speak for myself what I what is important to me particularly for anyone who is sort of coming into this um, and coming into this knowing you know wanting to connect with it what is important to me is, you know, being, being able to identify, you know, a ancestor spirit, however you want to call it, that did similar things. Now, I, I've had several conversations and there are people who take issue with this, but for me, th this is an ancestral tradition. You have to have, you know, you have to have some connection to it. Otherwise... Why are you doing this? Apollo is, we do not consider ourselves, unlike Yoruba tradition and Lukumi, we do not consider ourselves a universal tradition. Mm -hmm. We don't. Right. We, out, we come out the gate saying we ain't for everybody. This ain't for everybody. Okay everybody. <laughs> yes. But, you know. Yes. But we, we, it is important for us to be able to recognize each other as, you know, Moana Congo you know, Congo children, so to speak. So that being the case, um, you know, you need to have a mentor who can take a long and good look at you spiritually and be able to identify who your dead people are and where they come from. That's one way um, of establishing connection. Another way is just doing the research on your, on your actual lineage, on my 
father's side. We're from Mississippi. We're from an area of Mississippi that received um, quite a few uh, Bantu people from Angola and also from Senegambia. So that right there was my was my connection, you know, that I knew of that uh, as far as research was concerned. On my mother's side, my mother's father is from Mississippi. Again, lots of Bantu, be it Congo, Angola, wherever. Um, as a rule, particularly because Bantu people came in the largest numbers and earliest to the United States, if you have Black people in your family from what is considered the low country, so the Carolinas, uh, Virginia in particular, because as we know, this year was the, 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 the anniversary of what they call the 20, 20 odd Negroes from Angola that arrived enslaved to Virginia to Point Comfort, um, then you more than likely have some Bantu, if not specifically um, Bantu Congo from, actually, uh, let me be more precise, not just Bantu Congo, but <clears throat> Bantu ethnic groups from Angola and in and around what used to be the the Congo Empire. Mm -hmm. And so that's another way of sort of substantiating whatever feeling that one has that's achieved. But just like so many other traditions, for anybody interested in it, you need to get a reading with a reputable priest. And there are certain markers that need to come up in the reading that indicate whether or not you have a path for this. At the end of the day, everything is, at least in my lineage, at the end of the day, everything is checked with divination. Mm -hmm. um, and the final say is the say of the Nganga that indicates A, whether you have a path to be initiated and B, if you will be, if you, if one is to enter a specific spiritual house. Right. Got it. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. You know, this feels a lot, and you talked about just how most of your God siblings be, are African-American. Um, mm -hmm. It feels, when I think about Paolo and have done research on Paolo, it actually feels very connected to hoodoo, which... It is. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> it just feels... Because, like, that... The energy and also working with the the medicine directly, the plant, mm -hmm. the water, the, mm -hmm. you know, it's just, mm -hmm. and I guess that speaks to also ancestrally, like mm -hmm. our people were coming from mm -hmm. the same places, dropped off, mm -hmm. we're talking mm -hmm. different spaces. Mm -hmm. So Palo sort of being the iteration in Cuba and Hoodoo being the iteration in the state, in the South. It's really amazing because, um, as I mentioned earlier, I knew about you because of Maisha and Maisha's my god sister. Mm -hmm. And obviously she's been on your show and she's a hoodoo conjurer um, practitioner and absolutely amazing. And in, you know, these past several months, she and I have had some really, really amazing conversations and she's just like, damn, you know, many of the things that you're saying are concepts that I already knew in hoodoo conjure, but, you know, with a, perhaps without the language piece um, and without the the the, the level of, of 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 specificity, and so what she has shared with me is that this has been in many ways like a remembering, right, rather than something brand new. Because I mean, there's certain based on what she has shared and the things that I've read, there's certain aspects of hoodoo conjure which are just are things that I do, you know, when I work in nature mm -hmm. in Palo. Mm -hmm. 
the major difference is is that you know I I have a I, I have a reference for the language obviously, right. and we have there have been certain 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 words that did not maintain in the United States, um, but that you all still have descriptions for and that you all work. The, so many of the things that Hoodoo Conjure uh, people make and the way the technology and you've heard me use that word because I, I really see these traditions as technologies that can that can uh, generate a specific result, depending on how you work them. Many of the technologies that appear, at least from the outside looking in, to um, to to be vital to Hoodoo Conjure are present in Palo too. Mm-hmm. You know, they're def- they're completely and totally present in Palo. And uh, for me, it's been fascinating just having those conversations. But no, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, absolutely, it is. It is, um, you know, it it is a sibling tradition. Yeah, you know, it's a sibling tradition. If you put a, if you put a, if you put a a, a palero and a hoodoo conjurer in the room, eventually they're going to start understanding each other, if not straight out the gate. Right. Right. And so, who is Paolo? I mean, I guess I sort of asked this, but I'm. Hmm. So it's open to anyone who, through divination, would say it's open for. Is that? Well, we, I mean, we do, we do have, we do have um, certain restrictions, but the the main the the main arbiter of who is able to join is dependent on the um, is dependent on what comes out in divination. And so within divination, there are certain markers that appear if someone has a pathway to be initiated. And so that needs to appear. And then subsequent to that, um, a person would need to be accepted in the spiritual house, in a given spiritual house. Now, what you're probably alluding to, what you probably have heard um, is the restriction that Paulo has on um, on homosexuals, gays, and lesbians in particular, and I it, it I suspect that that has probably been extended um, to a certain extent. So those restri- those restrictions do exist. However, there are and have been for the past. I would say at least 30, 40 years, if not longer, there have definitely been individuals and whole communities, Palo communities that are open to LGBTQ individuals. Okay. Um, that being the case, one just needs to be as careful as they would going into anything spiritual to make sure that the house that they go into is the right fit because the divination saying that you have a path for initiation and being welcome into a house is one thing, but you really need to make establish and have the right fit between practitioner community and the presiding priest. Right. Right. Okay. Thank you for speaking to that. Um, Mm -hmm. So if someone is interested in getting a reading or or just like learning more about Palo, I mean, because it is very secret, you know, is it secretive? Mm-hmm. How would one go about doing that? 
So just in terms of learning, um, that can be challenging because a lot of the information that's readily available is unreliable. Oh, okay. <laughs> or very specific to the person's lineage who's giving the information. And so you won't be able to use that as a catch-all for all Paulo. Um, that being the case, there are two scholar practitioners that I, re I refer people to um, where they can find reliable but still very kind of general information. And th that is Robert Ferris Thompson's Flash of the Spirit. Yes, yes. And... Um, Oh, I forget his book, Fukiao, the, the, the Congo scholar, relatively recently deceased. Um, I'm going to find the title for you right now because I want to make sure that I say this um, on the show because this book is amazing. Um, African Cosmology of the Bantu Congo, Tying the Spiritual Knot, Principles of Life and Living. The author's name is Kim Wandende Kiabunseki Fukiao. He is, I would say, of the five or six most renowned scholars on Bantu, Congo, Bantu, Congo, Cuban Palo Mayombe that are worth reading and can inform historically one's understanding of Bantu traditions, but also Palo Mayombe. He is someone who I personally think is mandatory reading, but he's also the only uh, actual Bantu person writing on these things uh, or who wrote on these things. Okay. I'm going to make a note of these and put these in the show notes for listeners. To check mm -hmm. It's really, really amazing. Now the other gentleman that I'm, that I wrote, that I mentioned, Robert Ferris Thompson is absolutely amazing scholar. He is um, professor emeritus at Yale university in their uh, history of art department and flash of the spirit is a seminal text. It talks about uh, not just Bantu and Palo, but also talks about other diasporic traditions as well. And Robert Ferris Thompson, if one is interested in African diasporic traditions, Robert Ferris Thompson is required reading, okay. but specifically Fashion of the Spirit is um, a, in a, an important reference for uh, African diasporic traditions of the Caribbean. Um, and the, 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 the chapter he dedicates to um, Bantu traditions in the diaspora is really it's it probably it may be two because I think he does one on he does one on Palo and he does another one on uh hoodoo conjure related okay. things if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Hmm. But it's 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 very good. But again, it's general, it's scholarship. Right. It's not necessarily Robert Ferris Thompson specifically, he writes in the scholarly style. It's accessible. Mm -hmm. But it still writes in the scholarly style, so it's not it's not meant to be taken as an absolute truth from a practitioner right, standpoint. Right. But it is it is a good historical reference. Uh, Tata Fukiao uh, was both a practitioner and a scholar, and so where he talks about 
what he talks about is the on-continent, the on-continent Bantu Congo practice, not the diaspora piece. And it is useful if you already have some knowledge of either Bantu Congo traditions or Palo because you are able to draw the connection. And I think you as a Hoodoo Conjure person may identify certain, um, there there will be some familiarity in certain ways. Okay. But those those are two, for just in terms of acquiring general knowledge, those are two that I would recommend. Okay, cool. Um, As far as, you know, someone who, you know, knows or wants to to uh you know go a little deeper then the recommended step is always divination um i definitely offer divination services through um through my business um and so i'm definitely open to that I am not, however, initiating or establishing my own house. So I always just want to make that clear so that if there are any people who know that they want to take this to the next level, then, and they came to me for a reading, that that would just, uh, the conversation we would need to have is about who I could refer you to. I see. Right. Right. Because I'm not, I'm not initiating, um, I'm not, yeah, I'm not initiating or taking on doing any kind of mentorship or apprenticeship in that way. That's a very specific um, kind of relationship that if I were to take it on, you know, you move the person out of the client realm into the apprentice realm and that becomes something completely and totally different, as I'm sure you know. It's different when someone is learning from you rather than you performing a service for them. Right, 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 right. I like to make that distinction just so that we're clear, but I am open to taking on more clients. It's something that I welcome. It's something that I enjoy. Um, My website is negaraakudumu.com, N-E-G-A-R-R-A-A-K-U-D-U-M-U.com. My Instagram is the same at negaraakudumu.com as this not the dot com. Sorry. <laughs> I need some coffee. Uh, <laughs> Nagara A. Kadumu is the Instagram. That's also the Twitter handle. Okay. So perfect. I will plug all of that. And so how people should reach out to you if they want a reading, but what else can they reach out to you for in, in your work? So I do three different kinds of divination. I do the Paulo divination, which is on my website is listed as um, oracular divination. I also do a speedy Thista divination. Um, which is just old school. You look at the person and you start reading them. Um, I also do tarot divination. Um, in addition to that, a lot of the solutions that I come up with via the vehicle of Palo um, come from, uh, a lot of them are herbalist solutions. I work uh, intensely, regularly with plants, with the sacred plants of, uh, of the Palo Mayombe tradition. And I will be working in 2020 specifically to become more adept in um, my knowledge base and working with the plants of the Pacific Northwest, just because I live here, you know, and I need to get into a relationship with the spirits of those plants too, so that I can, you know, work with those and, um, and, and, and see what that brings me and see how that grows my practice. Um, I'm also a Reiki practitioner 
um, which has really helped, particularly where my anxiety is concerned. Yeah. That's a really, really amazing modality. Mm-hmm. Um, also, on the art side, I offer any number of you know services there, primarily focused around writing, editing, and research. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's just been my observation that that has been, um, that is something that artists need on a regular basis is just good writing about their work. Um, I also do studio visits um, with artists. Um, I am regularly in um, Vancouver, Toronto, um, increasingly will be in Chicago and hopefully New York as well on the East Coast. And so if there's any artist who is interested in the studio visit, that it would be my great pleasure to do one. But that's sort of where, you know, that's, that's, that's where I am. I've been very fortunate this past year that my business has really developed and is flourishing um, and has branched out in some ways. I, in, 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 in certain ways that, you know, have been really beneficial. I just delivered a paper um, on uh, a specific healing tradition within Bantu, several different Bantu cultures called Angoma and looking at the legacies of Angoma and African diaspora traditions. I just delivered that paper at the 13th Kosamba conference. Kosamba is the Congress of Santa Barbara, the Haitian Studies um, Association at UC Santa Barbara. So that was really, really great. Was able to network and talk with um, scholar practitioners, um, many of whom were voodoo practitioners, voodoo priests, but, you know, some of whom also were in some of the Afro-Cuban tradition. So just doing stuff like that, like I'm really interested in continuing to work at this crossroads, right? And the crossroads is a place where we work all the time in all of these traditions, Mm. you know, working at the crossroads of art and healing, but also scholarship. Scholarship is very important to me. And, you know, for me specifically, it's not enough to just be a scholar. I am a priestess as well. So any of the research that I do, that I carry out needs to, needs to make sense within the con within the context of my spiritual space and vice versa. The things that I'm seeing spiritually need to need to be able to be replicated in the actual world. Mm -hmm. Like I'm a big advocate of applied scholarship. Um, There are so many people who are scholars but not practitioners and so their research only really takes them but so far um and for me as we know the crossroads is always about multi-directionality you know going in different directions in time and space all the time and so for me it's that energy is the most generative one and it's always, it's always like sort it's a constant laboratory, right? You're always getting new information, applying it, throwing out what doesn't work, putting to the side what is taking its time to marinate and to generate. Um, and then just, you know, looking at, you know, looking at what there is and how you can use it and how you can make it, make it better. Like that's, that's what building a practice for me at least has been about these past two years that I've really been dedicated to that um dedicated to that pursuit wow that's so amazing and I want to respect your time but you kept saying crossroads and I'm like the canker like, I, oh, no, 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 I have a little time let's talk about okay it. I just want oh. to yes please just just 
give us some tea. It's, it's the thing, right? Yeah. It's the thing. It is the thing. The Dikenga is how we as Bantu Congo people understand the world. You know, it is what we use when we divine. Some version of the Dikenga is always present when we divine. It's always present when we are doing our works. Um, but is really this, it's, you can sort of view it as a portal. You know, the minute you are in that space and activating that space, time doesn't matter. And you may be any number of places, you know, right. while you're sitting still, but also for, for me, it is that, it is that cycle that we live, we, that we live out, you know, from birth to childhood to adulthood to elderhood to the spirit realm and it explains everything so precisely and it yeah I don't know it's just it's it's hard to put into words because English language is just insufficient when it comes to this but when you are working with that energy that crossroads the Dikanga whether you're doing it as a paleta or whether you're doing as a hoodoo conjure, you, that is where you are, you get to a point, if you know what you're doing, if you're good, where you can, where time and space work with you very differently. You can work those things and the energies that live at those places. Um, And there's all these different dualities happening at the same time. This is why I mentioned, you know, earlier the whole, you know, the whole notion of there's the energy that is the river, but then there's river spirits, you know, and being able to know the difference and to know which ones you need to use and how they're going to work and how it's going to play out. Even if you don't know exactly what the precise result is going to be, you know, knowing that if you put these things together in a certain way, and you're and and the work is confirmed, the entity you're working with is like yes let's do this. It's accepted. Um, we're just waiting for that, waiting for that, that result to manifest. And I think people have this view of Paulo as not being like very, you know, refined or not being really, you know, pretty or elegant. I would say on the surface, I could see why people say that. I don't agree with that, but I see why people say that, you know, you look at the Nganga and you know, so, some Ngangas are, you know, kind of crazy looking like I'm five foot three. Some of these Ngangas are like taller than I am, you know, all this extra stuff coming out of it. But the, for me, where Palo and related traditions really, really become, you know, beautiful is when you are in that space of the Dikenga, right? Where you're sitting there, you've put your things together, you're praying, you're encanting, you are really focusing your energy um, into a work or, you know, Maybe it's literally, it's just prayer. Maybe it's just encanting. And that process, being in the middle of that process, how that feels in your brain, in your body, that is where, for me, these kinds of traditions are really the most beautiful and the most elegant, is when you are in that space. And, Hmm. you know, the, the time between when you activate a thing and send the thing out and you get the result back. So for clarity, I want... For people who have never heard Dikenga before, I've mentioned it before in past episodes. Maybe this is your first episode you don't remember. For those people, just a brief, what is what is the Dikenga, though? Very simple. The Dikenga is a word uh, ascribed to the Congo Cosmogram, and the Congo Cosmogram is a circle divided into four quadrants. 
um, that delineates the way in which uh, Bantu Congo people see the world. Each quadrant represents a phase of life. Um, and so the top right quadrant is birth to um, birth to adulthood. Um, the top left quadrant is adulthood to elderhood. The bottom left quadrant is elderhood to the spirit world to becoming, you know, going back into the world as spirit, the decay of the body. And then the bottom right quadrant is from spirithood to rebirth. Um, because in these traditions, we do believe in reincarnation. And so um, that quadrant is is a, a, a complex explanation of how Bantu Congo people see themselves in the world. It is also, in, in many ways, I would say a roadmap for the practitioner in terms of um, how to situate, put together the works that they want to do to achieve a certain end. Um, it is also um, a, a, it is also, I would say, a, a brief explanation. I, I don't want to say brief. It is also an explanation that one can sort of dig further inside in terms of the importance of um, above and below, I'm, I'm kind of simplifying it mm -hmm. now, but above and below, mm -hmm. you know, have sort of that below the line, I believe that's the Kalunga line, where, you know, we all sort of return there and we emerge from there. So you notice you have the the quadrant that's from adulthood, to, I'm sorry, that's from elderhood to, to the spirit world that lives underneath that line, and then from the spirit world to rebirth that also lives underneath that line, and how really life it is as important to to for that space to be a generative space as it is for your for the space from birth to elderhood to be a generative space and you know what does it what does it mean to be in Kalunga or to be in the water in the Longo as we say the way in which humans who are practitioners are able to go into the Longo at will if you have that skill set and that's where we get our knowledge from. That's where we things are revealed to us about how it is that we should work and how we should be in the world. And so it, it really is this visual, it's this visual narrative that that describes um, Bantu Congo belief, but on a practical level for the for the for the for the priests or priestess or for the um, Hudu Kandra practitioner. It is a, a space that can be activated to achieve a lot of this healing that I've been talking about. Right, right. So it's a, and for folks to visualize, it looks like a cross and a circle sort of drawn around that cross. Um, and like Nagar is speaking to being able to use that energy and work with that energy to be able to create, take away. Mm -hmm whatever you're trying mm -hmm. to do, but that being a very powerful and healing space, which we see in Palo. And we also see when we, we've mentioned the crossroads man or going to the crossroads and mm -hmm. um, very mm -hmm. similar. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you so, so, so much. Like this was no the wealth of knowledge. I was just like, Oh my God, <laughs> like I have to listen to this 
a few more times and just get all the tea that you were spilling today because this was so so I mean informative and so I'm, I'm really appreciative mm-hmm. of you doing this work um, your artwork and the healing work and also just being on the show like this was very important and I'm so glad that you were the one to be able to speak about um, Paolo for us and, and, and through cosmology. Oh, thank you. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I feel like I'm, I feel like there's still like, we could probably definitely do another oh, show. Oh, yes. <laughs> there's sure. like, there's, like, there's several things that I'm just like, oh, we didn't record it out. But no, thank you so much. I'm very appreciative um, of the work that you're doing. Yeah of really pushing forward a Black-centered spiritual space um, that just prioritizing us and our healing and our spirituality. And I think that's very important. I'm happy to know about your work and what it is that you're doing. And um, yeah, this is great. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. I appreciate it. And I will be in contact about a part two because there are so many things. I'm like, oh, I ain't get to this. Yeah. <laughs> so for sure, for sure. So thank you again. I would love to. Oh, great. Awesome. Thank you so Thanks. much. Have a good one. So I hope that you all enjoyed that episode with Nagara. Uh, if you would like to reach out and get Apollo rating or learn more information about who Nagara is, I will have her website and all of her information in the show notes. And I really do want to have a follow-up episode with Nagara because I think that there are so many other topics to get into and, and even talking through some of the things that came up today and, and sort of understanding how, I've said this in a previous episode, but understanding, you know, gender and sexuality and how our ancestors understood it, how certain certain traditions understood it. And so even through Paolo and other traditions, I think I think that another interview with Nagara is important and another space to sort of have a whole episode to, to kind of talk about some of those things that came up. So this was a wonderful episode. I'm so grateful to Nagara and I hope that y'all reach out to her. I actually recently had a Paolo reading and it was like that. <laughs> it was like that. It was great. It was great. So please hit her up. Um, anyway, if you all would like to reach out to me, uh, if you would like to book a reading, a divination, you can find me on itsjujubae.com, I-T-S-J-U-J-U-B-A-E. I'm sorry if y'all can hear people talking outside. It's the city. It's the city. Come on. Um, yes, it's jujubae.com. You can book a session, the Reiki, book a 30-minute reading, an hour reading. I'm also on Instagram at it's jujubae, at T-S-J-J-B-A-E. And I'm also on Instagram at a little juju podcast for all podcast updates. I'm jujubae on Facebook and I am it's jujubae as well on Twitter where I mostly cut up. <laughs> I am going to be in Atlanta, October 24th through the 28th for homecoming but i am going to have some limited slots so if you're interested email me at the jujube at gmail.com hopefully um i posted about it on instagram the slots are are moving so if you are going to be in atlanta and you want to come see me for a 30 minute reading i'm only doing 30 minutes or i'm willing to travel if for travel fee we can set that up just message me and let me know Thank you all so much. Thank you for tuning in again. I appreciate you all for listening. And remember, all you need is a little juju. See you in a couple weeks later.